Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm a partner at Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. And there's a lexicon of elder care terms, um, all of the acronyms you ever need to know at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. Today's new and noteworthy is one of my favorite poems called The Dash. The Dash, the poem by Linda Ellis. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between the years. For that dash represents all of the time they spent alive on earth and how only those who loved them know what the little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of things they say about how you lived your dash? All right, let's jump in. Today, we're continuing the conversation of end of life. On the last show, we covered end of life toolkits, the, the what to do, if you will. And today, we're gonna close the loop by discussing end of life resources, hospice and doulas. Um, I want to read this quote to you. You matter because of who you are. You matter to the last moment of your life. And we will do all we can, not only to help you die peacefully, but also to live until you die. Um, that was by Dame Cecil Saunders, founder of the First Modern Hospice in 1967. Um, hospice has been around since um, 1967 and doulas are really becoming more mainstream in the past 10 years so i'm excited to have um, today on the show pam and jan it's like we're on sesame street pam leon is an end-of-life doula with journey with peace and jan is um, a clinical liaison and an admissions nurse with pathway hospice thanks for being on the show thanks. today thanks so let's jump in pam what is an end-of-life doula an end-of-life doula is really a Greek term, meaning um, non-medical. We really look at the person holistically, mind, body, spirit. So we take care of the dying and their family in a holistic way. Great. Jan, define hospice. Very similar, actually. Hospice is all about pain and symptom management. That could be breathing issues, anxiety, uh, pain, like I said, and also nausea. It could be an issue. Uh, we do address the whole family as well. We're with the family as well as with the patient. Uh, also about living life with dignity, no matter how much time one has left to live. Great. So if someone is on service with hospice, why would they need an end-of-life doula? That's such a great question. And I love that because we're all about the education. And hospice generally has more of a time constraint. And they're on service for a certain amount of time. As an end-of-life doula, I don't have the time constraints that hospice may have. So I'm not only taking care of the imminent death, but I'm doing those tasks and daily things to help a family 
cope from terminal illness diagnosis all the way through funeral, memorial. So it's not just about imminent death. As an end-of-life doula and as a, as a hospice administrator, what do you find most people's concerns are as they're engaging with you guys at the beginning? I find that often the family is having a much harder time with this than the patient. Some families say, don't say hospice to my loved one, and I'll be in the room with that person, and they'll say, I'm on hospice, aren't I? And they're much, many of them are very fine <clears> with that. It's the family that really needs the attention. And I always tell my team, focus on this woman, focus on the, the wife, focus on the daughter, because they're having a very hard time with this. It's interesting, and, and especially in my role when I'm meeting with families and I'm, I'm, I'm guiding them into meeting with people like you, there's this fear, they call it the H word. And they immediately go to, okay, it's over. And as you and I have talked about many times, right. we have people in our care <clears throat> homes that are on hospice for three, four years. It is not the end. Right. So how do you convey that message? Well, that's, that can be difficult because it depends on the family. Every family is different. Every experience is different. Why I love this job. Everyone I meet is different. And I always say, whatever time you have left, we're going to make whatever you have left as as. Uh, positive as, as, as good as possible for you. And uh, often that really helps them, but some need a lot more help during the process uh, and a lot more guidance. So talk about your role through that process from, from the initial meeting with the family all the way to pain management or um, comfort care. My, that all happens with me pretty quickly because I'm the admissioners, I'm the intake. I'm not the person who goes back to the home every week. Mm -hmm. And I need to prepare my team for those repeat visits. I may at time of admission, if they're experiencing pain, con uh, communicate with my doctor about what pain management they might need and hopefully get them to a comfortable place. But as I tell people when I do that admission, I do, the, like I said, the intake and the admission, which could be a period of about three hours. I always say, I'm not going to solve this while I'm here. I'm going to get it started. I'm going to get the ball rolling. And I'm going to talk about the different people who are going to be involved in the care. And now that I know you, I'd love to be able to tell them that you might be involved as well. So let's, let's, let's touch on that. How do you guys work together as an end-of-life doula and as a hospital administrator, I mean, a, a hospice administrator? It's, it's, I love this because I am such a huge, huge fan and proponent of hospice and hospice coming in early. I've often mentioned the H word and people are afraid of it. And because they think that it's, they're dying when I believe that hospice is all about quality of life and not always about end of life. So as an end of life doula, we actually complement each other because a lot of the times Jan and his team may have time constraints, but I also am able to I'm also able to continue the care that hospice has put in place. And generally, correct me if I'm wrong, Jan, but generally hospice comes in and turns it over to the family if the family's not imminent. So I'm there to reinforce everything that hospice has already done. I am not instead of, I'm not in place of, I'm adjunct to what hospice brings to the table. Okay. She enriches, she enriches the work that we do. And does hospice recognize doula? Now they do. It's um, just over the last two to three, four years, the end of life doulas now actually have a seat on the council of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. And are, is, is there a license? For an end of life doula? Uh -huh. Education, but lots of education. 
Um, I am not certified, I'm not licensed by the state, but I am recognized by NIDA, which is the National End of Life Doula Alliance, and I have to have a core proficiency badge. But because I'm non-medical, just like maybe a caregiver might be, mm -hmm. I don't carry a state license. Non-medical, like a birth doula, non-medical. Very similar. Very similar. Very oh, we're putting two, 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 two. So what resources and toolkits do you use to help families prepare for end of life? And Jan, I want you to answer the same question. My toolkit comes in way before end of life. A lot mm -hmm. of the times it comes in at the beginning of the diagnosis, which could be years, it could be months, it could be days. Mm -hmm. But I'm also able to provide a good advanced directive, subjective advanced directive. We're able to find what do you really want your death to look like? What do you want it to smell like, taste like, be like? Who do you want in the room with you? We can plan all those things where in the past we just haven't talked about it because we've been, it's been a lot more taboo. People haven't wanted to talk about it. So if we plan for a good death, a good experience for the family and a peaceful transition for the loved one, I bring all sorts of resources to the table. I think in a lot of ways, I've been compared a little bit to a clergy, to a social worker. I'm not medical, so I don't do the medical side. Right. But I bring a lot to the table and for as far as resources go, just to help people and families have that comfort toward the end of life. Great. Jan? Well, I am medical, but a lot of what I do when I meet a family is not being medical. Uh, one of the things that I do lead them to is on our website, we have information about different symptoms, nausea, vomiting, constipation, and it will explain to a family what they need to do if they encounter those things. Other resources are we have a chaplain involved, and that could be any faith. And in fact, the chaplain doesn't have to be of any faith. Uh, also social workers to help with end of life planning, to help if a family needs to move a patient to a nursing home, uh, help with a DNR if that needs to be done. But really, I find one of the most important people in hospice is the aide who comes in and does bathing and does a personal care for the patient. They really get to know the, the patient much, much better than anybody else on the team. Right. So those are my resources as well, human resources. Great. And how are, how are both of you all compensated? <clears throat> I am actually private, private pay, pay, but I have a lot of clients that are on hospice with other, you know, with care homes or within their homes. And a lot of times other places will bring me in as part of their team so I can be compensated by them. And one of the big differences is an aide or a volunteer might have to still have the restrictions of Medicare. I don't have to have those. Right. Okay. And yes, the restrictions of Medicare and of insurance and Medicaid is very much a part of my work. We are pretty much, we pretty much have those entities over our shoulders watching us every night I'm charting. I think of that. So when you work together, there's continuity of care. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, because we take on the role that hospice on the time that they can't be there, we, we carry out exactly what hospice would like. And we know that at the imminent end of life, we don't call 911, we call right. hospice. But I do have a lot of um, care homes that go, even though the residents are on hospice, they will call me instead of hospice, just because it's a different skill set. Um, and we're able to help guide them through that easy transition as well. 
So what makes somebody, how does somebody qualify for, um, for a doula and, and for hospice? Well, for hospice, it's pretty specific. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can kind of stretch that if necessary. There are any way for someone to become eligible. There are uh, different diseases that we look at, lung diseases, uh, kidney diseases, cancers, HIV and AIDS. And there's certain uh, certain qualifications, I would say, that they have to meet dementia, Alzheimer's as well. There, there are more. And when I go in to see a patient, I look at all that's going on and I say, which of these illnesses is going to be the most terminal? And that is what the diagnosis is that I use. So where does the term failure to thrive come in? That used to be used, uh, Medicare would allow that term yeah. for, um, for our hospice delineation, but now they're not allowing that anymore because it's too vague. So I might say someone has senile degeneration in the brain because they don't fit into the dementia qualifications. In there, I would say is a secondary failure to thrive. Someone could have cancer and have failure to thrive. Someone could have kidney disease and have failure to thrive, but they can't be designated failure to thrive as a diagnosis. It's very, very much there. And when you're on service with a family, is it the same nurse visiting that patient throughout? We do everything we can to do that. Sometimes the nurse is out. Sometimes I'm called in to see a family because mm -hmm. the patient, because the nurse is out. And sometimes uh, if someone, if a nurse is in a whole different territory because they've been called away, another nurse will go. But we do very, we try very hard to make sure it's that same nurse all the time. And what's the frequency? It depends on the family, depends on the patient. When I do an admission, I most often will say twice a week, and those are about an hour visits each. But sometimes it's once a week. When I admitted with Alzheimer's, she didn't need much attention. And you're, but you're on duty 24-7. We're yes, 24-7. Yes, there's someone available 24-7. Right. And with your service? They don't have to qualify mm -hmm. and they don't have to be on hospice. It's always nice because it's a nice compliment and adjunct that they are on hospice. But I can just, I can take a patient or a client that's just coming out of surgery <clears throat> and might need short-term care. And then they'll turn into longer-term care mm -hmm. as well. So for me, I don't have to have the diagnosis. So when someone calls you and they say, look, mom was diagnosed with cancer and we're starting to plan for the next steps in life, walk me through that conversation. Um, it's an empathetic, compassionate conversation. And I think that's why we all do what we do is because we have to have the, the heart and be open for it. And, and a lot of what we do is non-judgmental doesn't matter where they are, who they are, what they are. So we do it with non-judgment and compassion and open heart. And you have to be open-minded to the end. But the, the important part of that is to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. Because not everybody and not every family member is in the same place. And the person who's been diagnosed with the terminal cancer may be in denial. So we have to work through those phases. And I have to be able to meet them where they're at because the kids may be in a different place than mom is and may have different dynamics in the family. So the conversation is really what, what can I do for you now? Mm -hmm. Because that's the most important. And then it'll evolve. I'm sorry. And then it'll evolve. And, and then it will evolve. Right. And a lot of it, just like everything else we do is about trust. How quickly can someone get on service with you? Um, a lot of it has to do with my availability. Yeah. But immediately, because I don't have to go through any uh, Medicare documents. <laughs> Jan, how long is it? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. 
We can have someone give a call to the office, a, a social worker, doctor, uh, or a family member, and I can have them admitted within three hours. You know, I, I'm, as you know, I'm a proponent of, of doing things in advance, not last minute. And I, I want to share a story that you and I went through last week right. with a friend, uh, a, a client of mine, where you met with the family and they weren't ready for hospice, but I wanted them to at least meet you and be able to do as much work in advance as possible. So if and when they're ever ready to flip the switch and say, okay, we're ready for hospice, you're there. So. Sure, uh, paperwork can be signed. I can even meet with the family and meet with the patient and see what their needs might be. And then when we do actually do the admission, then uh, I can put things in place quickly. I had just had that happen with another family. I met with them on Saturday and some of the paperwork was signed. And then yesterday they actually did the, the uh, admission. Right. Took care of it right away. So where does somebody go to get hospice or doula services? They can have it in the home, in the hospital, wherever they are. Walk. We always say wherever they live. Wherever you are. Assisted living, a care home, their home, a nursing home, even the hospital. Yeah. And, and one point that Jan just mentioned is getting people on service early. That's one of the things that I'm able to do is be those eyes and ears that says, maybe they're not ready for hospice yet, mm -hmm. but I can help guide that process and, and tell Jan, I think they're ready and have that conversation with them and continue that conversation as well. And you don't need doctor's orders for hospice, obviously not for a doula. Do you need it for? We can put somebody on service when without their doctor ordering, because we have medical directors as well who can say the patient is appropriate. Mm -hmm. I really like to have a doctor's order there, order because I don't want them to be, the doctor to be blindsided, finding out, oh, my patient's on hospice now. Mm -hmm. I never said anything about hospice to them. Uh, families can call us and we can put them on hospice. I li do like to have a conversation with the doctor. Sure, continuity of care. Yeah, exactly. What haven't I asked you that I should be asking you, Jan? Well, I think what you could ask me, what's, what is the first thing I do when I walk into a home? The very first thing I do is I acknowledge who's the most important person in this house. It's him. It's the man who's going on hospice. And my first question to him is, are you in pain? Is there anything I can do to help you? Are you in pain? If you're in pain. Then I will turn to the family. How are you doing? How are you doing with this? And then I'm going to look around the room and see what's the relationship between the people. I'm going to look and see if they have pets there. I'm going to look at the condition of the home. And then I'm going to zero in again on the medical needs that this patient has. And I think it's important to note that it's not only when they're on hospice, but after that patient has passed, you're in touch with the family yes. through grief counseling, et cetera. And I think right. that's a really and, important and part of what you do. I'd love to be able to call on you too, uh, Pam, to say, I'd like you to be part of that early, uh, to be part of that conversation. Even if the family wants you involved to, to go in there to do the admission with you present. That type of thing. Yeah. So, what is what 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 haven't I asked you that I should? I do something very similar that Jan does also mm -hmm. because we look at safety. We want to make sure that the resident or the or the, the client is safe and the patient safe. We focus on the family, but we also want to know that there's good support in there. But I think one of the things that you didn't ask me and we didn't touch on is death isn't just about the elderly. It's, we all will die someday. And unfortunately, right. some of us will die earlier than others. Yeah. And though we are in the elder population in the elder realm, I think it's important to be prepared at a young age. 
and and get those thoughts and wishes on paper. Plan ahead. And plan it ahead. Yeah. So we can so we can plan ahead so we can live well and, and, and die with peace. That's great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You said exactly that, getting things taken care of beforehand, the paperwork that I have to have them sign. I would also say, do you have your power of attorney yet? Mm -hmm. Do you have your living will yet? Do you have your out-of-hospital DNR yet? I was, I shocked a patient yesterday when he, I said, do you have your power of attorney? He said, no, I got to get that done. I said, I do. Mine's done. Get yours done. So. And you're a young man. Oh, very young. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's jump to the lightning round. This is my favorite part of the show. This is an opportunity for the listeners to get to know you guys personally as I do. And I appreciate you guys being here today. All right. Are you ready? ready. Jan, quick answers. Mac or PC? Mac. Pam. PC. PC. Where were you born and raised? Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia. Montana, California. Welcome to Texas, y'all. <laughs> Favorite sport to watch or play? Tennis. Um, Your garden not does a not count. Person. No. Gardening. Nice. <laughs> beach or mountains? Both. Uh, beach. Where did you go to college? University of Texas, Austin. Go Longhorns. Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and also Texas Women's University. What is your second language? Southern. Y'all. <laughs> What's your second language, Jan? Spanish. Favorite movie? Dead Poets Society. Nashville. Sweet tea or unsweet tea? Sweet tea. Unsweet tea. All right. Have you ever changed a tire, Pam? I have. Jan? Long time ago. Can you write in cursive? I can. Can you write in cursive? Very sloppy. Last question. When was the last time you got a speeding ticket? Two years ago. Oh, man. Six years ago. Oh, look at you, good Samaritans. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the nugget portion of the show. At 106, Virginia McLaren and her dream meeting. Go ahead and roll the tape. Virginia McLaren? Hey! Oh, how are you? Oh, hi. It's oh, it's oh, so nice to see you. Honest, honest. You want to say hi, Michelle? Yes! Slow down, man. I don't know what my Fantastic. Um, in March, Miss McLaren turned 112 and dreams do come true. Pam and Jan, thank you very much for being on the show today. I appreciate you sharing your expertise and insight with our listeners. Please give them an opportunity to uh, reach you, website, phone number, whatever. Um, Journey with Peace. And my number is 972-532-1001. And Pathway Hospice. My number is 214 868-1808 or 214-377-9377. You can always find the Manchester Living Podcast on Facebook at Manchester Living Podcast, our website, manchesterlivingpodcast.com and iTunes. 
In closing, thanks for listening today. If there's ever anything I can do for you, don't go back to Google. Give me a call directly. Thanks so much for listening today. 